So that first time that we went onto the water was really telling. We managed to paddle out into the middle of the channel and started making some speed. And the coach said, okay, put down your paddles. Now put your hand into the water. And they could feel the water coursing through their fingers. And I, being in the front facing them, saw their faces light up. They were smiling. It was just a realization that they had powered this boat. So that was my aha moment. I said, you know what? This is working. We can make it happen. That was Maybell Kagi, the sighted co-founder of the Out of Sight Dragons, speaking about the first time the team was out on the water. Hear more about Maybell's efforts to create the Out of Sight Dragons, her background as a teacher, her interest in music, and her other volunteer work with blind children. This is Episode 8 of the Out of Sight Dragons podcast. Mabel's community. Let's go say hi to Mabel. Have a chat with the founder of the Out of Sight Dragons. Hey! Hi! How's it going? Well, okay. You got a package. Oh my gosh, okay. This is a great neighborhood. Yeah, isn't it pretty? I just, and it's very calm and uh, diverse people, diverse ages. And you know, it's not like a senior home because I don't want to be in a senior home yet. We have a lot of young people, business people, people who are working for government and their children. And so it's just yeah. a really nice community. Huh. You recently turned 80 years old, correct? I hate to bring up your age. That's okay, I advertise it big time. You did, you did. I saw the email about your birthday party. You're the youngest looking 80 year old I have ever seen. I thought you were in your like late sixties, maybe. Well, looks don't tell the, <laughs> don't tell the whole story. It is health. It yeah. is really health and a love for life. Do you like some tea or anything? No, I'm fine. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um, so how do you go about doing this? Tell me about process. <laughs> What's the process? Well, why don't I welcome folks to episode eight with Maybell Kage. It's certainly great to have you on the podcast, Maybell. When we met at the Out of Sight Dragons race in August at the Capital Dragon Boat Regatta, you briefly explained to me then how you came to start the Out of Sight Dragons. How about you go into more detail for us now about how you founded the team and why you did so? It started around this table. We were having a family dinner and I was relating to my family what I was doing at Camp Merrick that summer with the blind people at camp. That is a Lions Club camp for blind and deaf children. And then at the end of the summer, they allow one week for the adult blind people. And so I've connected with that program. And so every summer I am down there for a week. And so I was relating what I was doing with the blind people and what a joyful discovery it was to become friends with the blind people and find out how lively they are and how eager they are to do things and how willing they are to risk themselves out on the water, canoeing, playing beatball, 
And as I was relating to this, my son asks me this question. He said, why don't you start up a dragon boat racing team of blind people? Now, at that time, Christopher was the director of the DC Dragon Boat Festival. And my daughter, who was at the same table, was paddling in the DC Dragon Boat Club. When he asked me that question, I said, what? That's crazy. You expect me to take... 20 blind and visually impaired people in the middle of the Potomac. I said, that is really nuts. And he started to tell me how safe it was. And so I said, okay, just let me think about it. So I did think about it. I actually took about two months to go out on boats myself so that I could learn about dragon boat racing and then really projected on what it would be like to be blind and to be in that boat. I thought, you know what, maybe it can be done because in other team sports, there's such a thing as spatial perception where you pass balls and such to other people. But in a dragon boat, you have your own space, which is your seat, and you have your paddle, and you have your bubble of space that you're working out. You're not, you don't need to know where anybody else is. And besides that, the boats have a flat bottom and so, although they are shallow, it's relatively safe. So I said, okay, maybe this is an opportunity that we can open up for the blind people. So then the telephone calls started, <laughs> okay. I had one connection with a blind group, and that was Gloria Garrett from the IIB, which is Information and Independence for the Blind, and she gave me the name of Oral Miller. So I called Oral. He's the president of the D.C. Council of the Blind at that time. And Oral, having been an athlete, late during his college days was very enthusiastic about this idea and he said you know what I can probably find you some people who would be interested so he and I did some phoning around and we had a meeting because I thought I can't go with this idea without having the consent or just having a feeling from the blind people themselves what whether they would like to do something like this so we had our first meeting, which was in the clubhouse of Oral's apartment. And I invited, or well, my son and my daughter, of course, and a coach from the DC Dragon Boat Club. And he brought some paddlers and they brought paddles. They brought personal floating devices. And so we talked to them about it. We talked about the organization. Then we started talking about the sport itself. And then what we did was that we simulated a boat by putting chairs together, one right behind the other, and so they all sat down. And to give them a sense of the team effort that was needed, we had them put their shoulder in front of the person in front of them, and then with a drum, we started moving them forward and back and forward and back so that they sensed that they were not in this alone. And then, of course, they loved the handling, the paddles, and so they were enthusiastic. So I said, okay, let's go out. Let's plan to go out onto the water. So we did. I think we had a couple of trainings on land before we got we actually got into the boats. I still wasn't sure whether this is going to work or not, but we said, okay, let's get into the water. So that first time that we went onto the water was really telling because we managed to get into our boats. And just think how difficult it is. I mean, just the logistics of getting a group of people with volunteer help to walk down these slippery gangplanks and then into a boat that's usually lower than the, than the platform that they're standing on and they had to get into the boats one by one without any handrails. Okay, so we got in there and we managed to paddle out into the middle of the channel and started making some speed. We had a good coach in the back and the coach said, okay, put down your paddles. Now put your hand, your outside hand into the water 
and they put their hands in the water and they could feel the water coursing through their fingers. And I, being in the front and facing them, saw their faces light up. They were smiling. And it was just a realization that they had powered this boat. And they knew it because they could feel the water going. So that was my aha moment. I said, you know what? This is working. We can make it happen. And so from then on, Oral and I put a lot of effort into planning for the very first race because we had three weeks before we would join a race. Wow. And then, yeah, here we are starting from nothing. And we said, okay, (laughs) sure, why not? This was our goal. You know, I didn't know where it was going to go from here, but this was our goal. So we did in 2010, registered and entered into the DC Dragon Boat Festival. That was quite an experience, quite an exhilarating experience for me as well as for each of the people. Because here we were, we set up two canvases or two tents. And so we were in the midst of 50 other teams who were chanting and running and talking. And It's kind of chaotic. We're the resting area, I guess you'd call it, where all the teams hang out between the different heats. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of noise a lot there's, of people. There's right. a lot going on. Right. And then there's the announcer's voice. Oh, right. That, yeah, he comes over the loudspeaker. Over the loudspeaker. It's hard so to there hear. is a lot going on at one time. But it really energizes you. And we then had our own chant, too. I mean, we were acting like a team, <laughs> behaving like a team. We did pretty well on that time, but what was really exciting was that we kind of showed the world that, hey, you know, we're not asking for anything special. We are going to be compete on a level playing field with you. And we did. What was really exciting was we had to marshal from our tents. We had to walk about a quarter of a mile to the boats. After our first race, the other teams saw that we were actually very good. I mean, we were synchronized. We were making pretty good time. And their respect, their support for us just rose up. Every time we walked down (laughs) that road, down to our boat, or returned from the boat, the people would absolutely just spread out and cheer for us. And we felt like rock stars. It was so exhilarating. But of course, you know, we didn't make any times that would win us any medals. But just before the ceremonies at the end, the captain of the Phoenix team came over to us and he said, Mabel, we have watched what you guys have done. You have started from nothing and you finished the race. We are so impressed by what you guys have done. We are going to give you our gold medals. I said, no, no, you can't do that. You guys work so hard for your gold medals. You just can't give it away. He said, well, we voted and we wanted to do this. So I said to the folks, okay, we're not going to go home yet. We are going to stay here for the awards ceremonies. So we had our chance to get up onto the platform and each one had a gold medal put around their necks. It was just wonderful. You sit on the front of the boat. Right. I sit in front of the boat facing the paddlers. At what point did you decide to fulfill that role on the boat? For sighted paddlers, their synchronization comes from watching the first person on the boat, who is the stroke. And I thought, wait a minute, out-of-sight dragons would not be able to see that stroke. And in dragon boat racing, it is traditional and mandatory that you have the big drum and that you lead with your drum at least for the first 200 feet, I think. So I thought, well, I'll just use the drum for practices as well, because how else will they know when to put their paddles into the water? And so that's why I started sitting up front and playing the drum for them, okay. because that helps the coach. That Because 
synchronization is very, very important. Everybody has their own style, their own strengths, and you just have to pull it all together so that we are one unit. This all started because you were working at Camp Merrick and mentioned to your son how you wanted something where blind folks could could engage more in in a sport of some sort. So what were you doing at Camp Merrick in the first place? Because it's not... Not everybody is working at a camp for blind children. Before I moved to Maryland, I really did not have any experience, you know, either friendships or teaching or anything with blind people. When did you move to Maryland? I've lived in California, and when I retired from teaching, I came here because my children were living here. So I joined their church, which was the Episcopal Church of the Ascension, and there was a blind person named Ed Bordley who was singing in the baritone section, and I joined him in the baritone section of the choir. And there was Joyce Sterling. We became very good friends. And Joyce asked me one day, she says, why don't you come to camp with us? We need you down there. So I did. And it was just really eye-opening for me and heartwarming for me to be able to work with people who had no sight, but they were very personable. They all had wonderful humor and a joy of living that I was a little bit surprised at. So then I saw that the program could use my help. So I started the singing program, a music program. Then I started an arts and crafts program, and after that, I started a poetry and literature program. I've been going down to Camp Merrick for 10 years now. Your background as a teacher obviously was helpful. Mm -hmm. What was your background as a teacher back in California? Well, I'm kind of a late bloomer. (laughs) I got into teaching. Actually, I went to college after the children went off. And then I got into the teaching career because it was something that I had wanted to do since I was a teenager. But then the family came along, so I took care of the family. But after they were on their own, then I got my teaching credential. I taught music for a couple of years, and then I ended up doing fifth and sixth grades. And I did some bilingual ed in Pajaro Valley, but mainly I really enjoyed the fifth and sixth grade teaching at Linscott Charter School. It was one of the first charter schools in the nation, and our emphasis was family or parent participation. So it was a lot more work, but we produced a lot because, as you know, I mean, the people that are most influential in children's lives are their teachers and their parents. And so when we banded together and talked about the welfare of their children, it became a really strong program. But the parents had to work in the classroom for half a day a week. So that allowed me to do a lot of fun, hands-on activities. Were you involved in music throughout your whole life? No, I mean, I loved music, but never really had the opportunity. I dabbled with the piano, but it was here uh, when I came to Washington, D.C. that I decided that, you know, I really want to play the piano well, and so I started taking lessons at the Levine School of Music. And you have a piano in your living room. I have a piano here, a bald one. Do you give lessons? I do, but I am taking lessons as well. And what I like more than anything is to accompany people. You know, I do play solo things, but then I do like to accompany people as well. So you you I play the recorder some. also. And I play the recorders. Yeah. So I came and I joined the Washington Recorder Society. Uh, we meet twice a month. I have a children's choir at the church. Mm-hmm. I play the handbells. You're getting them ready for the Christmas pageant, I think. There is a Christmas pageant coming up. That must be a lot of work. That is a lot of work. (laughs) Wrangling children. (laughs) It's fun. We have a good time. We have a good time. So you're a pretty good piano player at this point to be able to give lessons. To children. 
Okay. <laughs> you have a pretty good setup. You have a microphone and a speaker here. Oh. Are you, are you doing some recording? or? Oh, I guess I didn't mention that um, also with music, I have involved myself with the Springvale Terrace Senior Residence. And since I was taking piano, I thought, you know what? While I'm practicing, I might as well go over there and practice and then bring some live music to people. So I started doing that. And then that has grown into <laughs> a monthly program called Mama Maybell and Friends Variety Show at Springvale Terrace. That's a retirement community. That that's a retirement community, and that's why you see the sound system. We have been doing this program without a sound system, and there's a lot of times when the children come and say things, or people tell jokes, or we sing, and that all the people cannot hear us, so I decided that we need to invest in a little sound system. When you and Oral started the Out of Sight Dragons, you were in your early 70s, and Oral was in his late 70s. That was seven years ago. You're both in your 80s now and still going strong. What motivates you to continue the incredibly hard work that you do for the Out of Sight Dragons team? Well, number one, I don't think that you should ever stop working. Certainly, I'm passionate about the Out of Sight Dragons because I see what a great opportunity it has been and what joy there is for the people. And the Out of Sight Dragons team is not just a team. It's really a community. It has really built into something wonderful friendships, a new life for many people. It affords them a chance to have exercise, to be out in the fresh air, on the water, each week. I've seen romances bloom. <laughs> and uh, just a, a social life that, that has surprised me. I mean, they meet each other for happy hours. <laughs> oh, how do they find each other? But they do. I have just been enthralled that I have had the opportunity to know this community of people. I am so impressed and awed by them. Their abilities, their I can do it spirit, and they can do anything you and I can do. If you provide people with opportunities, I think they can do it. I don't see any reason why I, Oral and I should quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Right? Because we're having such a good time.